Amen. What a university. Let's meet the president of Life Pacific University live in person, Angie Ritchie. Jack, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Now, I know, you know, someone said when I walked in, you're not as tall as your picture. <laughs> now, listen, I might be about 5'1", but I feel six feet tall, so you're going to get a six-foot tall ethos today, okay? I know, my husband's over six feet, and I just act like I own the place. So I'm bold and, and fierce, but uh, thank you, Pastor Chuck and Marion, for having me today. Thank you, Charles, you're such a, a supporter. Marianne, you, I remember I was here with a, a women's ministry um, event years ago, and it's so good. Do you just love your pastors? There's so much joy in your pastors, so I'm so grateful. I also want to acknowledge Natasha is here from Life Pacific University. There she is. She's a, our admissions counselor. And she, we have a booth in the back. Listen, we want to make sure that you know that you have a university just down the street that is here to meet your educational needs. Also, we have so many exciting events. In fact, one of the events we're hosting is the night of your Valentine event. So I won't promote it too much, but we're having a worship night. And we want you to know you are always welcome. Uh, young people, young um, adults, I want you to know that this is a crazy world. We're going to talk about it today. But you need to be equipped. Not for the world today, but the world tomorrow uh, that is going to be increasingly challenging. It's going to need you to be rooted in your faith. So LPU is here for you. If you're interested in on-campus, online, undergraduate or graduate programs, in fact, we're starting a new counseling, Masters of Arts and Counseling program this summer, please sign up in the back. We want to get connected with you. Amen. Well, I am also um, excited to be here today on this important topic. Um, and the topic is, if you go to the next slide, oh, wait, actually, let me just shout out my family. Go back. Um, I've been married almost 30 years this, this May to my husband, uh, Jack Ritchie. He's amazing, uh, missionary kid. He has a long heritage of, of missions work and ministry, and he also pastors a church. He's a businessman as well, and so we know what it, it takes to grow people to come alongside people. I have two young adult children. One is married, and they're doing amazing. And we just celebrated our 100 years at Life Pacific University with a ribbon cutting. And we're so thankful that Pastor Chuck and Pastor Charles were there with us. Marianne, I don't think you were there. You were there. I missed you. So um, so we just wanted to get let you know who we are. I do have a puppy. I didn't um, share her picture, but she's amazing. So let's talk about today, uh, life uh, living in the Bible in today's world. Uh, Life Pacific has lots of partnerships, and we love partnering with our city, with other schools. And it was about a year ago that the superintendent of um, Western Christian met with our team, and we were going to sign an agreement so that they would know about us and consider sending their, their students, their seniors, to Life Pacific, and, and how can we get involved, and we have scholarships and that sort of thing. And one of the first questions he asked our staff. He said, if we do this, I need to know one thing. Are you really Christian? Are you a Christian school now? So we've been a Bible college. We've been here in the city of San Dimas for 30 years, and yet the question was, are you really Christian? Why would he ask that question? Because as a superintendent, he has multiple articulation agreements with universities, but things have changed. Parents are reporting back to us and to other principal superintendents that they sent their child to college and they came back atheist. 
And a mom called me once, and she was crying. It was between Life Pacific and another school out on the East Coast. And she said, I didn't think it would be a big deal. I just let her decide, supported her. Within two months, she completely questioned everything we taught her, everything she learned in the church, and she came back questioning even her own relationship with God. She said, why did I not push Life Pacific? Well, my, my answer was, is we just don't know. We just have not been aware of the challenges today. See, this is what John 10, 10 says. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have abundant life, abundant life to the full, more than we can ever ask. But I think if we don't recognize that there is an enemy right now that is out and about on the loose wanting to steal your life, steal your marriage, kill your children, kill your finances, then we are naive. We are not living the Bible in today's world. We have to be aware that we have an enemy. I want to give you some facts real quick. My husband sent me this article. We're always finding out what's going on in the world. And a Pew Research uh, article came out on January 23rd, and it was entitled Parenting in America Today. It shook me. The top, men, the top concern for parents is mental health. It tops drugs, pregnancy, legal issues. Their priority, parenting in America, the priority for parents is financial independence of their child and jobs they enjoy over college choice, getting married, or having children. Most parents say it's harder than expected to raise their children. However, Parents are giving themselves very high marks on the job they're doing. Interesting. More than four out of ten continue to say that they are overprotective. Eighty-eight percent say they parent different or very different than their parents. And this is, this is the kicker. Fewer than half of the parents place a lot of importance on their children sharing their religious or political beliefs but their highest is being honest or ethical, then hardworking. So do you hear that parents no longer care if, your, if their children share their beliefs? What does that tell us? Parents aren't being intentional. We're not modeling the way. We're not passing the baton of faith. If that doesn't shake you, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's happening. I was shook. I couldn't believe it. See, we're getting it all wrong. We're living in an upside-down world. Look at this next slide, Psalm 145. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. See, our God is the God of generations. Scripture makes that clear. It's even found in one of his names he uses for himself. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. See, God loves the generations and prefers to work within its framework. The passage that we just read together is a mandate to generational interaction. The generation is to pour into the generation that is coming up. Likewise, the rising generation is to follow, listen up, young people, to follow the example of the older generation. In this manner, things are to continue until the end of time as we know it. A perfect design for the good of all people for his glory. God's purposes and plans are greater than any individual and continues from generation to generation. 
We cannot just let our children discover their faith, discover what's right, discover their gender. We have to pass on the baton of faith and model the way. So what do we do to hand off to the next generation? As the church, we are entrusted to pass the baton of faith from one generation to the next. We have a tremendous responsibility. Say with me. We have a tremendous responsibility. Again, we have a tremendous responsibility. If we hand off the baton well and God, represent God as big to the world around us, that's good. But if we hand off poorly or yet worse, not hand it off at all, we represent God as small to the world, insignificant, irrelevant. Then all the ground that we have taken in our own lives to write, beat the demons of our lives, to overcome strongholds in our lives, some of you fought for your faith. Some of you are here and you fought for it. You fought for your life. You fought for deliverance. You fought for freedom. You fought to... to, really cut off generational curses, right, on your life? And if we don't pass that on, guess what? The generation starts over. We've got to pass the baton of faith. When we are grounded in the Lord, we can do this, but all can be quickly lost. We have a tremendous responsibility. I want to share with you, just, just we have a world in crisis, okay? And I don't want to get us too depressed, but listen, I am by nature short, but a challenger. I'm telling you, six feet tall, I feel like it is my mandate, my calling to speak truth to the world, to tell the truth, even if the truth hurts, to tell truth to myself, to speak honestly. I have a marriage and family class right now, and I am literally telling them things they've never heard. Last year, I asked them to write on the board where they learned their sexual ethic from, where they first learned about sex and how they learned how to incorporate ethics in that part of their life. Not one was a parent. I had over 35 students in my class. Media, peers, friends, digital, shows. Where are we? Moms and dads, we have got to wake up and live the Bible today. Like live it, embody it, talk about it. So this is the issue. Look it. Next slide. Schools are now the primary center of worldview formation. Therefore, where you go to school matters. Where you go to school matters. I'm on the board of UCA, United United Christian Academy, a school in Rancho Cucamonga. There are almost 1,000 K-12 students. Why? Because parents were alerted to what's being taught in public school. There are now wait lists in private school. John Atwood has wait lists. Where you go to school matters. Only half of evangelical pastors, according to Barna and Arizona Christian University, only half of evangelicals hold a biblical worldview. Yeah. Only 4% of Gen Z have a biblical worldview. Only 4% of Gen Z who is in this room right now have a biblical worldview. Do you understand how small that is? So we have a lot of people going to church with no biblical worldview. We have a lot of people going to church, living absolutely in terrible stronghold bondages of sin in their life that is destroying their mental health, which is that that's why number one concern. But the root is belief. The root is parenting. The root is the core of what we're about and who we say we are. If half of our evangelical pastors have a 
a biblical worldview. What is that saying to the Church of America? The mental health crisis is at all-time high. What we're doing isn't working. I am very simple. What are the results? Our way of parenting, our way of preaching, our way of doing church, the way we engage the world, the way we are in the world and yet in the church is not working because mental health is at an all-time high. Do you guys see the correlation? The results, we're not getting good results. By, 2020, uh, by 2070, Pew Research just came out with this data piece, I think in August, said that by 2070, less than half of the U.S. will be Christian. That is new. Sexual orientation and gender ideology is in our schools and in the center of curriculum. Are you kidding me? We better know what's being taught in schools. That's how we live the Bible. We are on alert. We're aware. We're engaging culture, not just to accuse culture, but to be aware so we can parent our kids. Sexual orientation, as you know, blatant sexualization of children is increasing. Have you guys watched the videos, what's happening in our schools? Listen, we got to wake up. I had my, all of my students on Wednesday last week read Ephesians 5 in two versions of the Bible, and the theme is wake up. Wake up from your slumber. Wake up. Look around. Stop acting incongruent. Stop living one way and then declaring you're one way. Stop not loving your spouse and then expecting life to be flourishing. It's a mandate to wake up. Rejection of, again, the sanctity of human life I never in my life would see I would never have thought that I would see churches opposed to that. Uh, are, do you, are we living upside down? It's crazy, but it's not a surprise to God. Also, an article my husband sent me last week is Satanism is on the rise. It is the new religion for a relevant and progressive generation who is w- real, willing and ready to get all that they want and dream on their terms. The stuffy old spirituality, the stuffy old religion is no longer exciting. 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fire trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed at the revelation of his glory. John 16, 33, Jesus says, after he says, tells the disciples what's going to happen to him, he says, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, says, join me in suffering like a good soldier of, the, of Christ Jesus. And in John 15, during Christ's ministry, he spent a lot of time not only telling his disciples that he would suffer, but preparing them to suffer as well. If the world hates me, he says, keep in mind, if the world hates you, keep in mind the world hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but you have been chosen out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And I want to ask us, new heart, does the world hate you? Students in this room, some of you feel like you can't speak because you don't want to be canceled. I get it. I get it. I feel the tension, too, of not being able to speak up about what you believe. But I'm going to tell you, the vocal minority is loud, and the vocal majority is quiet, and it is our time to speak out for the things of Jesus, not just because it's right or wrong, but it's about freedom. 
It's about peace and joy. And when I talk to young people all the time, some of you may not know, but I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, so I get the stories of people all the time. And you know what? When we get them healed from their trauma and living the Bible, guess what? Strongholds leave. When they start being truthful, they start getting into agreement with God, guess what? Depression leaves. Anxiety reduces. It's all correlated. When we live the Bible, we get the abundant life. But we don't always talk about that. See, we are called to an upside-down kingdom. Let's turn to the next slide. Jesus hinted this of this kingdom in his Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, he declared several types of people that would be blessed and happy. And these are the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Do you guys want peace? Let's live like Jesus. Let's live out the Bible. This means not worrying. It means being the least, not the greatest. It means being the servant of all. It means seeking first his kingdom, first, not popularity. Seeking first the kingdom, not wealth. Seeking first the kingdom, not Instagram followers. Listen, you will be canceled if you speak up for Christ. And I'm going to tell you what it's going to do for you, young people, that if you live for Christ today, guess what? You have a shot at a good marriage. But if you do not live for Christ today, you will not have most likely a good marriage because there are principles and ideologies that are out of alignment with God's perfect will, but out of alignment with the way God designed us. I teach marriage and family. It's what I do, and I help marriages heal. And I know for sure that living the Bible works. The kingdom of God is upside down. I'm going to read you a passage out of, out of Judges that is really important because I think we have to reckon that what we're going through isn't new. What's happening in the world? Look at this. Judges chapter 2, 7 through 8, verse 10. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works the Lord had done through him for Israel. Now Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him with the, in the border of his inheritance. And when all that generation had been gathered to the fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, know or the works that he had done for Israel. In the generation after Joshua did not know the Lord or the things that he had done. They were there. They witnessed. They heard the stories. Joshua was the man God chose to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and he displayed incredible strength, faithfulness, and courage. He was a mighty man of faith and an inspiring leader. But look what happened. The whole generation didn't know God. I find it almost incomprehensible that after living a life of such great faith, seeing countless signs and wonders, and winning so many victories that Joshua and his generation dropped the baton of faith, from one generation to the next. By God's grace, they defeated the Amalekites. They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. They saw the walls of Jericho come down, and even they saw the sun stand still yet. After all of these miracles that showed the power and provision of a mighty God, an entire generation did not know the work of the Lord or what he had done for Israel. I guess my question for us is, what happened? What happened? Where was the legacy of the Joshua generation? Were they so busy defeating foreign armies that they forgot to remind their children that it was God who did it? 
Did they not encourage their children to encounter God for themselves? Were they hoping their kids would catch it? They didn't teach it. Were they complacent? Did they drop their guard? Were they in cities and dwellings that they did not build and they ate the fruit they did not earn? Vineyards they did not plant? Did they get lazy and comfortable? I think this is a warning for us. See, we don't know what, we don't know what happened, but we, knew, we know that something went terribly wrong. Whatever the gap, it had a crippling effect on the next generation. Whatever the reasons may have been, someone dropped the baton of faith. They stopped carrying it. They stopped passing it, and therefore, an entire generation did not live the Bible, did not live the things of God. I am convicted. I am shook. I am called out in this moment. Anyone with me? If we don't get activated, if we don't get activated, blood's on our hands. Blood is on our hands. Next slide. This is what, Deuteron- what, this is what God gave to Moses. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is a mandate for us as well. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you go to in and out in soccer practice. When you pick them up from school. When you drive to church. When you're in Target when you're on summer vacation. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, in the morning, in the evening. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your house and on your gates. And right now, this is talking about total immersion. Total immersion. This isn't just like, here's a verse, memorize it for the week. No, it is in a lifestyle. It is all in every day, in every moment that I'm with my husband and our kids. We're talking about what's going on in your life. What happened? What do they say? What is God saying about that? Oh, my goodness. My, my son, he was just on the freeway on Friday coming home. He saw this car driving. The trunk was open. He saw wood in it, and he was literally watching it. And so he's like, I got to stay clear. He was backed away. He watched it, and lo and behold, guess what? A two-by-four flew out on the 210 freeway, went across the freeway, avoided cars, went other a semi. Ethan is trying to drive around. Guess what? It nails his car, completely cut off his entire um, um, rear view, like his, his, side went, his side mirror, dented his car, and I'm going to tell you what, you know how easy that would have been for it to go right through his windshield and hit him right in the head, decapitate him? The thing is, he saw it coming and yet could not avoid it, but you know what, that morning he told, said, Mom, you know what, that morning when I was driving, I asked the Lord to protect me. He goes, I was praying that day. Me and my, my son, my husband, we were like crying. We're like, we pray for him every day. And, and he was so mad because they just saved, they're saving money for a car, and now they have to repair an old one. But he said, you know what, within a minute, I said, thank you, Lord, for protecting me. Our 23-year-old has that perspective. Why? Because we imprinted God on his heart that we talk about the practical things every single day of his life since he was little. It was by intention. It was by design. And it wasn't easy because there was other things we wanted to do. But guess what? They have a lifestyle of seeing God in things. And let me tell you, my friends, he's not weird, is he? He has a great wife, and there's, he's, doing, he's at Berkeley School of Music, and he has master's in film scoring. He, he's amazing. But guess what? He has a mind and a heart for God. Are we doing this? Are we talking about it? 
every single day is a part of our lives, and it can't be passed on unless it's a part of who we are. Mom and dad is calling us, grandma and grandpa's, aunts and uncles, teachers. It's calling us to rise higher and say, how does Christ live in me every day? How am I walking out my faith, living the Bible, in not only what I believe in how I vote, but how I treat my spouse, how I treat my fiance, how I treat my grandparent, how I treat my students? How does it show up? I love all the people that go to church, and then I get them in counseling. I'm like, you're terrible. You guys are terrible to each other. Of course you're struggling. So basic. Let's live the Bible. Let's honor and prefer each other. Let's put away coarse joking. Let's stop drinking. Let's get rid of porn. Let's start living the Bible. And guess what? Your life suddenly becomes better. The day I started respecting my husband in the way he deserved it, you know how feisty I am? You know how hard that is on a marriage? I had to be checked to shut up and sit down. I'm checking myself. The Holy Spirit's checking me because my disrespect was impacting my relationship with my husband, his own empowerment, who he is. It was modeling terrible things for my children. I own that. But guess what? I let the Bible inform how I walk in gentleness, humility, mutual submission, mutual accountability. And God had to work on me and is still working on me every day. And if I can, you can because I'm tough. I'm a tough cookie. Amen? Receive that. Amen? I got your back. Because I'm telling you, we need a world that, with men that are willing to fight for us. The thing is, we want you to fight for us, but we also want to control everything. We can't have it both ways. Right? So, men, we respect you. Take your rightful place. Women, we need to bring it down a couple notches. I'm going to just tell you that. I love you guys so much. I can say it because I'm a girl. Okay. So, I'm going to give you about uh, several things that we need to think about. Five. And I want you to take notes because this is going to help us live the Bible. You guys loving this? Is this helpful to you? Okay, we're going to live the Bible. Number one, we want to live the, live the Bible in this world, living the Bible in a post-Christian culture. We need to live boldly for Christ. Boldly for Christ. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Are you speaking up? Are you being bold in your household to live for God? Are you being bold with yourself to behave in ways that are going to be life-giving for your family. We got to live boldly for God, boldly. The like a lion, the righteous are unfettered by their conscience. Their conscience is clear and pure, and they can proceed with peace and rest, knowing they are guided and cared for by God Almighty. We're lions not because we're aggressive and we're bold in personality. We're lions because we're secure. We know who we belong to. We know what the Word of God says. We know that in our boldness, we can be gracious and kind and loving and untriggered. We can be bold. We can hold, handle anything, and we can also handle being canceled. The bold does not worry. The bold is confident and protected. The bold is blessed. They are triumphant, and we live according to God. We don't fear men. We fear the Lord. We have to be bold. It doesn't mean obnoxious, but we have to be bold. Amen? Young people, it's time for you to be bold. I'd rather you have one good friend that's going to support your walk with God, your mental health, your peace, than being the most popular person and lose your soul, your mental health, and be suicidal. Amen? 
I've worked with so many suicidal young people. It's because they're too caught up in keeping up and living like culture. Culture is not our teacher. They said, listen, we are not of this world. We are to be counterculture. If they like us too much, it's a problem. We got to watch ourselves. We're salt and light in the world. Be bold for God. See, God's given you authority. You have authority in Christ. In fact, listen to this, you guys. Luke 10, 15. This is when Jesus is talking to his, his disciples and they return. And the 70, the 70 returned, his disciples and all the people that were going out and ministering the gospel. They returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And you, this is what Jesus said. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority, new heart. You have the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What that passage says is you have authority to take authority. You have authority to cancel out depression, anxiety in your life. You have authority to cast out things in your home. You have authority to trample on the demonic. But this is what he says. Don't get so excited. It's not about that. It's just what we do. But be excited that we're part of the family of God. But if you're not doing those things, casting out demons, and you're not taking authority in your home, you're not praying and cleansing your home, you're not walking in the authority of Christ. I think some of you today, I feel really strongly need to go home and anoint your entire house with oil and declare it the place of Jesus. If you, want, if you want to live the Bible, like live the Bible, I do this all the time. I, I also cleanse my office. We have people doing prayer walks. You, you cleanse your, your house and you declare it God's place and you kick things out of it. Like if you've been in arguments, if you feel depression, if you've had people in your house that are not Christ followers that have left stuff there, you open that door and you kick it all out by the authority of Jesus in your life. Amen? Amen. Natasha and I, we talk about this. Natasha understands her power in, in the Lord, and she walks in authority. She takes authority. She's been delivered, but she also walks people through deliverance. That's, that's all right. You don't have to be a counselor to do that. You don't have to go to graduate school to do that. You have authority. So how many of you are having, how many of you even see, feel tension in your home right now? How many of you feel oppression? How many of you are having communications issues or conflict? How many of you feel lonely? You go home and you invite the Holy Spirit, you repent for what you need to, and you kick it out of your house, and you declare joy and peace and hope and wholeness over your family in the name of Jesus. See, this is what's living bold for Christ. See, the enemy doesn't want you to know how to do this. The enemy doesn't want you to do this. He doesn't want you to take authority. He wants you to be sad and upset and worried, sick. But we're bold as a lion. We don't worry because our trust is in the Lord. But if we're not taking authority, it's not going to happen. See, things stay because we just allow it. We tolerate. We tolerate. So number two, you guys love it? Are you going to live boldly for Christ? Are you going to live the Bible? Yes. Number two, we need to live mindfully for Christ. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all of your mind. That means you have to think. I need you to think about what you're thinking about, and I need you to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Some of us wake up in the morning, and we just start thinking. We don't ask ourselves what we're thinking. We don't ask ourselves why we're thinking. And to be honest with you, the majority of what we think is what we thought yesterday, 
and what we thought the day before, and what we thought in 1970, some of you that were older, uh, the things that we thought are often our parents' thoughts. So I want you to be mindful about what you're thinking about. Be mindful for Christ. J.P. Moreland, he is a, a professor out of Biola, wrote this book called Love the Lord with All Your Mind, The Role of Reason in the Life of the Soul. He said this, as our Savior said, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. To do this, we cannot neglect the, soul, the soulful development of the Christian mind. See, we need these two attorneys right here to be mindful, to be smart, to be fierce, See, we have these disciples in the Bible that were teenagers that Jesus captured. You guys, they were teenagers, you know that. Peter was the only one married. He may have been in his early 20s. He captured them, and in three years, they turned the world upside down. Three years discipleship. Why are we still struggling after 20 years? We need to be on mission. We need to be walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, living boldly and mindfully. And then you have the Apostle Paul who was mindful. He was educated. He was a scholar. So we don't want to be uneducated Christians. We want to be mindful. These two right here can argue anybody, debate, and win because they are mindful Christians. They understand the word, but they also understand the law. They understand the things of this world. We have to be salt and light. We have to be mindful Christians. Amen? See, a spiritually mature person is a wise person, and a wise person has the savvy and skill necessary to lead an exemplary life and to address the issues of the day in a responsible, attractive way that brings honor to God. Our kids aren't equipped. Why is Jesus the only way, they ask? Why would I believe in a God who lets hundreds and thousands of people die at the hands of perpetrators? How could I believe a God that is not accepting of whatever I want to do? Let me tell you, God is also holy. He is also righteous. He's also just. And he knows what is best for his people. See, we have to speak to those questions of the next generation or else they are not going to use their minds. They're going to find another argument that trumps this one. We must be mindful for Christ. Colossians 3, says, 3 2 says, Therefore, since you've been raised with Christ, strive for the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, meaning we cannot be so comfortable with culture that we forget the things of God. We need to be brainwashed in the Word. We need, listen, Pastor Chuck and Marianne are amazing pastors, but they are not enough to transform your mind from the inside out. They are here to equip and edify and stir up the gifts in you, but your work starts the, day, the minute you leave this place. You have to be brainwashed. There was a season in my life where I really struggled with just thinking, thinking that I inherited from my family of origin, limiting beliefs that I have to rid from my mind. See, I have neural pathways. We, they say that we're formed by seven years old, the way we see the world. So we are spending the rest of our life unlearning what we learned the first seven years plus, right? So I just had really unhealthy thinking. Joyce Meyer has been helpful for me. I listened to her on podcast. But there was a season in my life where I was literally listening to three to five podcasts a day as I work and drive because my mind was not aligned. It was not being transformed quickly enough. I can't just kind of dabble in transformation of the mind. I can't, you know, some of you are work, working out. Some of you need to be working out. You know that. You can't just go to the gym once a year. 
and expect to be like ripped, right? I know. I try to think that I can just do that. No, that doesn't happen. You have to go to the, the, the gym of mental health. Every day, multiple times a day, young people, you need to get the word of God on audible constantly transforming your mind. The world is too aggressive. The dopamine in your phone, what you are getting is church, and it's not church. It's the world. It's Satanism. That's what it is. It's propaganda constantly, and I have to fight it myself, so I have to exchange it. So the whole way here, I commute all the time. I'm always listening to audiobooks or the word that shape my thinking to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. If we want to live the Bible, we have to be renewed in our mind, and it doesn't just happen once a week on Sundays. We have to be committed. So, thought check. Verse, Romans 12, 1. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That means when a challenge comes or an opportunity comes or an invitation comes, you're going to know what to say. Because it's going to align with, with the Lord. But if you're not in the word, you're confused. Just where the enemy wants you, confused. Uncertain. Oh, well, you know, it's okay. I can, you know, I can just have one piece of chocolate. I've been on a diet for a year. That's how the biggest loser, I watched an interview. You know what, oh, the biggest loser? You know how they all gain their weight back? That one slip. Yes, one chocolate and one, one girl, she gained all her weight back. She got a regular Coke once. And then the next day, a little more sips. And the next day, another one, another, and then all the weight came back. We cannot play with the things of God. We are too fragile. We're not strong enough. I'm not strong enough. I need to be on. I need lanes. I need lanes. Okay? So, you got to thought check yourself every morning. What do you say to yourself when you get up? What do you say to yourself in the mirror? What are your automatic negative thoughts? Where do you need to flip the script? What lies is the enemy using to steal your abundant life? You better thought check and get that podcast on and get your word on and get absolutely satiated. We need to be brainwashing the word. Everyone say brainwashing the word. Brainwashing the word. Live mindfully for Christ. Number three, live faithfully for Christ. We've been called to go and do the work faithfully. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, Paul says, or seen in me, put into practice. Whatever you see and hear from your pastors, put into practice. Whatever you see and hear in the word, put into practice. It's not just, it's not just a, a recommendation. It's your life book. When I read, you know, I, I dare y'all. I want you to go home today and read Ephesians 5 from the message. It's going to call you out like you, you need to be called out. We need to be called out. It's going to call you out and you're going to be like, I didn't even think that what I'm doing is out of alignment with God. Why do we need to be called out? Because the parents are missing. No one's calling us out. Everyone's so polite. But you know what I've learned about Gen Z? And I work with the next generation. I speak at camps. They want to be called out. They want you to know that you know what they're going through. You know, most of Gen Z got phones before the age of eight years old. Shame on us. Shame on us. Poor stewardship. How can an eight-year-old manage the power of the internet? Some of our kids have been babysat with video games, tablets, 
I go into Target. You know the APA, the Association of Psychological Associations, says no, no tablets, nothing before the age of two. And yet, guess what? They're all like hours. The average time we're online is seven hours a day. We are, we have transferred our responsibility onto the world, and we wonder, oh my gosh, the mental health crisis. I'm so concerned that my kids, that's the number one concern. No, ma'am. You have advocated your responsibility, and you've given it over. How about be worried about your own self and get into alignment and start taking up your rightful place as mother, as father, as auntie, as uncle, grandparents. All right? I just got to be honest with you guys. I hope you're not mad. Okay. This is the reality. We have to wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. We have to live faithfully for Christ even when it hurts. We don't want to. We don't want to get up and get our athletic shoes on. We don't want to get the podcast on. We don't want to parent. Who wants to do that? We got to do hard things. God calls us to do it or else we have no right to worry about the mental health problems. You know what? If we heal our mental health problems, guess what? Our children will heal, heal, heal theirs. Let's own it. Let's live faithfully, live faithfully for Christ. Number four, live generously for Christ. Everyone has something to give. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. If we want to live the Bible, we need to pass it on from one generation to the next. So I want to ask you, are you giving generously to your, the people in your life, the younger generation who needs you? The thing is, I know as Gen Xer, I'm still working my stuff out, right? I work with adults. I work with pastors. I work with leaders. I work with celebrities. We're all working our stuff out, but it doesn't mean we forsake the next generation to figure it out on their own. We have got to point them to Christ. We have to be intentional. Uh, I've had two classes with my marriage and family students, and already they're having major breakthrough because someone decided to be honest with them. The things that they thought, the assumptions they had about marriage, why? Because no one teaches you about marriage. And we have to be learners of marriage. I want to encourage you if you're married, it's whatever you're going through, it's okay. So much you just don't know and didn't learn. But you can become a learner of marriage. See, we can start today. We can start to live faithfully. We can start to live mindfully. We can start to live boldly. And we can start to live generously. So whatever God has given to you, may I encourage you to pass it on. Pass on your wisdom. Pass on your cooking skills. Pass on your mechanics. Pass on your legal skills. Pass on your mothering skills. How many of you are mothers but were never mothered? I am so sorry. But guess what? It's not our fault. But it's, it's now our responsibility. And are we, new heart, are we going to take one for the team and level up and live the Bible and pass it on. Can we do it? We have to live generously. You know, my son is at my husband's dream school. My, my husband's an amazing guitarist, very talented, did, worked, has played with significant musicians in his, his life, but we got married at 20. We had, our first kid, we had our first child, Ethan, at 26. And as soon as we had him, I was like, babe, are you going to teach Ethan guitar? Are you going to, you know, pass it on? And, and, and he, my husband's always taught guitar, and he, he was so mindful. He's like, I'm going to let Ethan come to me. So at two years old, we see him with his little play guitar throughout the years. But I remember getting in elementary school. I said, babe, we got to get him to le into lessons. we got to get him going. Come on. we got to do this. And 
my husband's like, let's let it let, I'm going to guide him and I'm going to give him all that he needs. And so he would put things in place and they'd have conversations, but it wasn't this aggressive, you're going to learn this. But my husband was leading him every step of the way with music history, with exposure to guitar players, with stories, with being a part of concerts. And guess what? One day it emerged from, from Ethan. See, it wasn't that my husband wasn't parenting. He was guiding him, but he wasn't being aggressive. He wasn't forcing him into lessons. He was living the lifestyle of a guitarist, living the lifestyle of a, of, of a dis- disciplined musician, someone who was culturally aware and relevant, knowing everything about every major guitar player, every band, and he was passing that on. And at 14 years of age, it caught fire. And within two years, my, my, my son was surpassing all his peers. My son is doing it so amazing. He graduated with a BA in business, and he got in, he applied to Berkeley School of Music, which is Juilliard, Berkeley. And he got in to our surprise. Why? Because Ethan started a business at the age of 17. He started doing um, Fiverr, and he has over like thousands of, 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 of uh, um, different projects he's worked on with clients. But he learned how to do it because he had a father that passed it on. If, without my husband passing on, on the skills, teaching him, taking him places, talking him about guitar, talking him about music, no amount of outsourcing Ethan to a teacher to teach him lessons would have done it. What do you have right now that is an asset that you could give to someone in your circle? You might not be married, you might not have kids, but there is someone around you that can glean from the gift that you have whether it be writing or music or cooking or sewing. Psalm 78, oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to my words of my mouth. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Not only has God done wonders in your life for you to pass on, he has done miracles in your life that connects to the word of God in a way of life, would you live generously for Christ? You may think, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not. I haven't arrived. I make so many mistakes. Listen, you have more than you realize. Start with just telling your salvation story. Tell how God changed your life and how you live the Bible. That will be incredibly beneficial. And lastly, we're going to close with this. Live joyfully for Christ. The joy of the Lord is my strength. This is true. This is absolutely true. From a brain science perspective, joy stimulates the growth of the brain. Systems involved in character formation, identity consolidation, and moral behavior. I need you to hear this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of your home is your strength. The joy of the car is your strength. The joy in the workplace is your strength. The joy in your marriage is your strength. Because guess what? It stimulates growth. It stimulates transformation. If you have a low joy home and you don't laugh and you don't engage and you don't praise, you're going to have low growth low stimulation, low transformation, anxiety, depression, aggression, and shame. Joy, like any internal drive, can be combined with any other experiences to provide flavors, fun, gladness, 
sparkle to your life. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. For Proverbs 10, the prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. We are to be people of joy. And I just wonder, if we're struggling living the Bible, I wonder if we're struggling with joy. We're struggling with joy. Christians should be the most joyful people around. See, joy is contagious, but joy is intentional. See, it's a brain function. And when we connect in joy, see, what I love about your pastors is they're joyful. Pastor Chuck is up here. He is authentically joyful. Would you agree? Does he make you feel happy? That's why you come here, right? You're like, he sees me. He welcomes me when I come in. Marianne, Charles, all the pastoral staff, they welcome you. And guess what? When their eyes light up, when you see them, that changes your brain. You feel loved. You feel accepted. It's so simple. What if we learned how to pass on and live generously by first bringing joyful connection that evokes transformation and brain growth? So I'm going to give you a few little tips to build joy. And I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to tell you, this is brain science. I'm going to pray for you that you can do this. I believe in you. You want to know how to build joy? Number one, smile whenever you greet those you love and use sincere voice tones. Joy is relational. It is what we feel when we're with someone who is happy to be with us. Joy does not exist outside of relationships. Marriages in this room may encourage you to smile when you walk into the room and see your spouse. Could you just act a little more excited to see him or her than your dog? Like, I know my dog gets, like, top billing. She's jumping and so excited to see me. And guess what that evokes in me? Baby, oh, my gosh, I love you. Hey, babe, what's up? Right? But my dog, what if we acted excited like we were seeing our dog when we saw our spouse? They'd be like, what's wrong with you? But I'm going to tell you what. You start that, you're going to start a change in your home, and life is going to begin to emerge. Energy lift, joy lift. Joy's relationship. Joy brings relationship. Number two, ask questions that invite others to tell you how they're really doing and what they are thinking. You want to know another joy builder? This is, I know, this is going to be really tough, but I'm feeling new hearts up for the challenge. Take a sincere interest in really knowing the other person. Their joys, their fears, their passions, their talents. Your children are looking at your phone, their phone because you're not talking to them. Or you didn't talk to them when it mattered, and now you're, they've tuned you out. The fruit of our lives is a result of our behavior. It's the seeds that we're sowing. Treat each other with dignity and respect. When ending a discussion, try to make everyone feel affirmed. Okay, this is another one. And, and the lawyers are in the house, so please correct me. Use touch whenever appropriate. Hold hands, link arms, give hugs to maintain physical connection as long as it's welcomed. Hold hands, link arms. When's the last time you, like, touched someone in a loving way? We are starved. Give little surprises that cause our eyes to light up and let yours light up too. Cherish babies and children. I love that this is a church that values children. Marianne was talking about Vacation Bible School already getting volunteers for June. You guys, that's six months. I love how organized you are. 
But she's saying that children are so important, we're going to plan for it now. This church does that. You do this work. Joy is important for God and to us. And if we want to truly live the Bible in this world, we need to do these things. I'm going to remind you, the last slide, let's look at one more time. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. So in review, the Lord is calling us to live boldly for Christ today in this world. Number two, to live mindfully for Christ in this world. Some of you need to go, go, to, go back to school. Some of you need to sign up for Life Pacific University online or on campus today. No more excuses. It is time for you to engage the world thoughtfully, intelligently, and proactively. Number three, to live faithfully for Christ. Faithfulness matters every day. Get your podcast on. Get your reading on. Get your love on in the world. Be faithful. Say no to things that you know are not good for you. Live for Christ. Speak up when it counts. Stand for truth. Vote your values, but live them too. Number four, live generously for Christ. Pass it on. Give to the next generation. Who can you serve? It's time to volunteer for VBS. That is one simple way you could say, I'm going to take this step forward to live the Bible today. I'm going to give what I have, and you have more than you know. And lastly, live joyfully for Christ for the sake of the gospel. So my question for you as the worship team comes up, where will you begin? What is the Lord calling you to do? At Life Pacific University, we are about biblical worldview. We talk about the real issues of sanctity of human life, of sexual orientation, gender identity. We talk about race and diversity. And we talk about it from a gospel perspective. Who does Jesus say we are to be in this world? We do not shy away from kingdom principles. And when John Atwood says, are you really Christian? Guess what I get to say? Yes, we are. We are a biblical university founded on the word of God. And we will not back down. Amen. Would you stand with me while I pray with you, Lord Jesus? If you want to take a step forward in one area of your life today, just give it to God right now. And I'm going to pray over you that you would have the courage and the boldness to live the Bible today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for New Heart Foursquare. God, and I also thank you for every single life these people touch in their circles. Lord, these are influencers. They are leaders. They are called to live in an upside-down kingdom for you, God. So I pray you give them courage. I pray that you give them faith. Lord, I pray that you give them insight that the moment they walk into their home, they say, Lord, I'm going to take authority in this home because it starts there. And from there, we'll go to their neighborhood, to their city, to their nation, to the ends of the earth. May this church be a global church that has impact around the world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We bless your name, and we give all honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.